Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Brandy Show and Conversations With. Today is a treat for me in that football is the topic, and my guest is one of my all-time favorite people, Jerry Hanlon. Jerry came to the University of Michigan back in 1969 from Miami of Ohio with Bo Schembechler to be one of Bo's assistants on the Michigan staff. And he stayed on for 23 years as an assistant for the Wolverines. Hanlon is considered an offensive line genius and was an excellent quarterbacks coach too. Since his retirement, Jerry has been an invaluable sounding board and mentor to athletes and coaches alike. Since 1969, he has never left Ann Arbor or Michigan. He's a frequent visitor at the athletic complex and is an encouraging and positive presence everywhere he goes. He knows football from A to Z and back again. More importantly, he's still as passionate about the game and its benefits as any human I know. He was my position coach when I played. He's a friend, and I love the guy. We recorded this chat after the Ohio State game in December of 2019 before the coronavirus changed our world. Jerry was gracious enough to share his yearly letter to the seniors on the team prior to the Ohio State game. So hang in there with us as his recap of that letter comes near the end of my conversation with Jerry Hanlon. So I was getting ready for this, and I was thinking on my way over to talk to you, football in your life has been around and been a part of you for over 70 years. Is that accurate? More than 70. (laughs) Uh, I actually played in high school, and so that was a few more years uh, along the way. But as far as coaching is concerned, it's been almost 70 years, yes. You, I looked it up, North Bend, Ohio, Taylor High School, is that correct? Taylor High School. And you were a pretty good player back in the day. You were a running back, right? I was a running back. In those days, you had to go both ways. So you played running back. And you played uh, defense as well, so I played defensive back and running back. And and occasionally, the fact is, I started, they needed a quarterback. We got one hurt, so I ended up playing quarterback for half of a year. And then in my senior year, if you can't believe this, I twisted an ankle so badly that I had to wear a cast. And so I put a strap cast on and played center oh my through the cast with the cast on it was a a light cast it wasn't something that i couldn't carry but and i fit my foot into a shoe so it wasn't like i was running around out there but uh, but i did have a small cast on and and played center Uh, and in those days and we played six-man football and so I was eligible to catch passes. And as a center, I even caught a couple of touchdown passes. So uh, it was quite a career. I, I was very fortunate to, to have a community that really uh, liked sports and, and uh, had a coach who was really way ahead of his time. And so that kind of helped me a great deal to get along in my profession. You then went on to college. I thought all along that you were a... Miami of Ohio guy along, but I read that you actually attended Xavier for a while. Is that right? I went to Xavier University. I had five brothers, uh, four brothers, and myself. There were five brothers, I should put it that way. And uh, we all attended Xavier University at least for one year. And uh, I remember that when I came back out of service, uh, I went back to uh, to Miami, and my 
younger brother went to Xavier. And I had to replay freshman ball because I hadn't established anything at Miami. So we played Xavier's freshman team, and I played against my brother. <laughs> and when I went to check with my mom, I said, who are you going to root for? She says, you know darn well I'm going to root for Xavier. <laughs> and so I had to play against them both. And then you played football at Miami of Ohio. And... and you're a pretty good player. You're running back, right, at Miami. You and Terrell Burton, who was a, another friend of yours who came on and coached with the University of Michigan. Terrell Burton was a great football player. I was a rinky-dink kind of football player. <laughs> I don't know about player, that. But uh, I was fortunate enough to play for a guy like Eric Parsegan. And the fact is that we had some good football players on our team, and we won championships while we were there. And so it made you feel very, very, uh, a lot of fun to play football because when you play in a winning situation, if you contribute it somehow, it makes you feel like you're really a part of that team. And uh, as I said, I never saw Terrell Burton's face all the time because every time I ran against him in a dash or anything, I was always behind him looking <laughs> at his backside. So. But, uh, you played for Era Parsegian. That's a big name. That's an iconic name. Did Era's coaching create the bug that bit you to be a coach, do you think? I think of all the things that uh, that directed me into the coaching field, it probably was playing for Era Parsegian. We were so far ahead of the things that were going on. We called plays at the line of scrimmage. We looked at the defense and knew what we wanted to do. Uh, all these things and having a little experience, as I said, as a quarterback and as a running back and defensive back, you had to learn all those different things. And it's so it, it put me, I think, in good stead that when I left college, I was already prepared to do some things that other people out there weren't ready to do. And so it created a great interest in me to see if it would work. But it also gave the people who I worked with uh, an idea that I knew what I was talking about, and it gave me some credence uh, as a football coach. What was your first job as a football coach? Was it in high school? I went back to my local high school, and uh, uh, I coached, uh, I put in a physical education program for our junior high system that they never had for our elementary and junior high system. And so I did that, and along with that, I was an assistant football coach at Taylor and, uh, uh, and coached. Uh, was head basketball coach in junior high. Just I just coached anything that they would let me. I got into it. You love you know. to compete. I, I think most coaches like the idea of of taking young men or women and and competing and watch them grow. You're that kind of guy, aren't you? I would like to think so. I would say you uh, are. The number one thing that that I enjoyed was working with the kids. Uh, the game days, they're important and so forth, but it's during the week when you get down and work with those young people and have an opportunity to to see them develop and grow. And then just like we did last Saturday, uh, to come back after 50 years, 
and see the 1969 team, all those guys, what was most important to me was that I looked at them. I couldn't recognize them because I told them they got old. I didn't. But anyway, that was, of course, the University of Michigan 1969 team, team that upset Ohio State in that great upset back in 1969. Yeah, that was 50 years ago. And I said, my goodness, that means they're all they're getting a little old. But the fact is that those kids, I looked at them. They had their families there. And to know that they turned out to be some doctors, some lawyers, uh, some teachers, uh, some businessmen. But most of all, it looked like they still had their wives. Many of them had their same wives. And their kids came up and said hi to me in a couple of situations to see that they're good husbands, good fathers, and good people in the community. That, that's, that's the whole aspect of coaching that people don't recognize as much, but that's what's the most important thing, that we turn out great people while they get to play a great game like football. And as a coach in high school, you had to be a teacher too, right? Oh, yes. What did you teach? I taught biology. I taught uh, uh, biological sciences. And uh, I, I even, in when I went to... Uh, Canton Central Catholic to coach, I taught library science. Now, can you imagine me? I had I didn't like to read that well, <laughs> but I had to find out what library science was, and I put in a course for uh, the kids. Actually, we coached all boys, uh, taught all boys there. We had a great system. The nuns taught the girls, and the brothers and young men taught taught the boys. And it was a great system of education. You talked about young men becoming good fathers, good people in the community, and you talked about teaching and how you enjoyed that. But that's really what coaching is, too, isn't it? It's a teaching thing. And part of that teaching is developing not only the knowledge in the brain, but the whole character of the human being, right? Absolutely. Uh, you, You can't. I don't know how you coach character, but at least if they got some, you want to try to bring it out. And that's the thing that's part of your coaching, is that uh, they got to become a part of a team. Individuals are certainly important, and you know that, and you treat each one as an individual. But when it comes time, and you both says it on that thing that you see on the uh, the game days uh, that the most important thing is the team and to take someone who has individual characteristics and all that and then blend it in so that he learns to work with other people and live with other people that's what coaching is really all about and that's what living is really all about when you think about it when did you ultimately become a, a college football coach and it became a career? Well, uh, I was coaching. Uh, I just finally got a job where I made some money. 
And my poor wife, thank God for Anne, as you know, and I should bring her up because uh, without her, I would never have been able to do any of she this. She was a special, special human oh, being. Oh, she, she, she should have been the treasurer of the United States <laughs> to be able to live like we did on the salaries that I made. I still, to this day, don't know how she did it. But the fact is that we finally were making... Uh, some good money and living in Bay Village outside of Cleveland and everything was going smooth and the same old coach who had hired me in high school got the head job at the University of Dayton and he called me and says you're coming to Dayton to be my coach. Was that John McVeigh? John McVeigh. And uh, I said, you got to be kidding me. I can't leave here. He said, you know you're going to leave there. I said, well, what are you going to pay me? He said, you know that does not going to make any difference. You're going to come here and coach. You want to be a college coach, and that's exactly what happened. I took a big cut in salary. We went back to living like paupers again, but it got me into college football, and that was important to and, me. And here's the, the $64,000 question for you. You are associated with Michigan for all those years. That Michigan connection started with Bo Schembechler, and it didn't start at Michigan. But when did you first meet Bo, and when did he hire you? Well, at the same time John McVeigh was going to hire me at Dayton, he called and wanted to know if I'd come to Miami because one of his coaches was supposed to leave, was going to leave his staff, and if he had left, he was going to hire me to be a part of his staff at Miami. And so what happened was the coach didn't take the job, so he kept him. Well, then I went to Dayton. The very next year he left, and that's when Bo called me back again and says, you know you're coming here. This is your alma mater. <laughs> he used McVeigh's line, right? Yes, yeah, same thing. So anyway, uh, I did take get a little bit of a raise going from Dayton to Miami. Not much. Did you know Bo prior to... Uh, have a relationship with him prior to you coaching for him on his staff? Well, he was a coach at Ohio State when I was a high school football coach in Ohio. And he came around and recruited. And when he found out that I was a Miami man, then when I'd, he'd come into the area, we usually would get together and talk a little bit. And, and uh, so we became... Uh, not close friends, but we were friends and knew each other. And if he needed somebody in the area to go to Ohio State or to Miami, he'd call me and said, Hanlon, drive him down here. I'll take care of you for the weekend. And that's I would drive him down and maybe stay and talk football and learn a little bit. When you got to Miami, we know what Bo was like when he came to Ann Arbor. All the players, you mentioned the 69 team. Uh, talked about how crazy he was that, that he put us through. Uh, we did not know that we were going to – it was a different culture. It was a different mindset, and we never knew what hit us almost. You got to Miami, and I've talked to some players from those Miami years said, you guys had it easy. He was tougher on us. You're the one guy that's seen it both ways. What was Schembechler like, and was that the way football was coached back then? Well, I think you coach your own personality. It isn't an idea that everybody's going to do it exactly the same way. 
And if your personality is one where you're going to work harder than everybody else, that you're going to make everybody around you work as hard as you do, and uh, you're going to spend the time and the efforts that's needed. And at that particular Bo time, Bo wasn't married, so he had a lot of extra time to do whatever he wanted to do. And so when he was would put that much time and effort in it, he expected you to do it too. Again, thank God for Ann, because we spent an awful lot of time, uh, particularly he and I, uh, when we were at Miami, uh, doing football things and tending football situations and clinics and and uh, recruiting and things of that nature. And so uh, we did spend a lot of time, but it was usually well-spent time, and we ended up doing a lot of good things. And at Miami, you were very successful, and then came the offer to Bo. Uh, let's go to the University of Michigan. Um, well, I tell that story a little different. Well, I know that. Well, that's why I wanted to bring it up. So, well, let's get Hanlon's version of the story. Well, Don Canham called and said, uh, Jerry, would you like to coach at the University of Michigan? <laughs> and I said, that sounds like it might be all right. He said, well, as long as you're coming, bring Bo with you. So, uh, But I, we kid, I kidded Bo about that for years. But the fact was, yes, we, uh, our staff there was really an excellent football staff. And so not just me, but a lot of good people came here from Miami. I'm one of the guys that knows all that staff. Like, you coached with, I mean, you talked about Eric Parsegian, but you coached and have known and have rubbed elbows with some of the best. But let's go down that list. Jim Young, uh, Larry Smith, uh, Gary Moeller, Lloyd Carr, uh, Dick Hunter, uh, there were, Ed Terrell. Terrell Burton Terrell was Burton. also on it. But well, you Terrell got, didn't come till later. Yeah, but he was, he was only like two years later or something. Well, Seventy-two yeah, or three. Just a year later, yeah. I believe it was, if I remember right. But all those guys, you guys were—I don't want to call it like the, the Robin Hood and his band of merry men, but you all had this 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 tattoo about Bo Schembechler in Miami, and you had this thing coming to my coming to Michigan. Um, what was it like when you guys all rolled up in here and looked at what I, this is this is this is like a softball for you and you saw what was here facilities wise it wasn't much but you guys were all in weren't you there was one thing here we're sitting right next to it as you well know that stadium and uh, if you're a football person and you get around that stadium you know that there's something good about this job. You couldn't have that unless you did it. Now, the things that led to that stadium weren't very good. We went, the first thing we did is we went into Yost Fieldhouse, and they had some uh, locker rooms up there, and we walked into this locker room, and uh, it was just some metal lockers open, no doors on them, just some metal lockers there. And up above the lockers, there was two befores bolted to the wall with nails in them. That was where you hung your clothes at the University of Michigan when you went to coach. That had to be a bit of a surprise. It was quite a surprise, but 
but we also saw the other things around. And when we went to recruit and things, we went first class and and uh, that type of thing. So you knew that the, this was a sleeping giant. It was something that just had to be developed. And uh, if you had to put up with a little bit till you got there, it was certainly going to be worthwhile. Our problem is we had such good coaches here, we couldn't keep them. They all ended up going out and being head coaches at other schools. So we had to bring in new ones as we went along. And I guess I was the only one too dumb or wasn't <laughs> able to get a head job. But I, through all that, I was able to... Uh, meet some really great football coaches and have a chance to work with them. Well, and and you are considered, and I say this having been your, you were my position coach, one of the great offensive line coaches of all time, and and not one, the 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 greatest of all time. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't give. No, no, no. I I, I just want, but 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 you were. I mean, you did things that were somewhat revolutionary. I mean, we, we got the. Two by sixes and the cages, and we came off and created a new line of scrimmage. All of those concepts, probably that you had brought with you. Um, what's what was your theory when you got here at Michigan? What did we need to do? You need to do to those guys that existed on that team to make this whole thing work. Well, number one, to play together as a team. Number two was to work hard enough to become good football players. You got those two things started. Then you had to teach the techniques. Technique is the thing I think is no longer taught much in in college football. Uh, Everything is done by uh, let's fool the other team. We're going to use a spread formation, and if they don't cover out here, we're going to do this. They don't do this. And they spend so much time worrying about how to beat the other guy, but that, that they forget to coach the kids. To me, you win football play games because your kids block and tackle better than their kids. And if you can teach that, I don't care what you run. I don't care what you play. If you block and tackle better than the other team, you're going to win the game. So in essence, you're kind of saying the X's and O's get in the way of fundamentals to some degree. Absolutely. Too much so. Today, when's the last time you saw any team? I don't care whether you talk about pros. I don't care whether you talk about the college ranks. I don't care if you talk about high school. Show me somebody who can consistently run the football. You can't find it. It's not seen, and it's almost uh, a bygone era of being able to control the ball and run it a little bit. And I, I just, I still believe that I could take a group of kids and get them into stances, and by gosh, we'll run the football. We're going to do it. I believe you could do it too. When you got here, let's go back to 69. Uh, you knew you had to develop a team, you knew how to these facility issues, when you first looked at that group of, of players, a uh, little different group than what you had at Miami, what was your coaching staff and your thoughts on, oh, my God, what are we going to do with these guys? That was the first thought. <laughs> and then, Jimmy, i I be honest with you, and I, I hate to say this too often, but I did. I found out that while we had some good football players at Miami and some good athletes when you went through the workout drills and when you started to see these kids and do the 
uh, run the 40-yard dashes and things of that nature. We had better athletes here than we did at Miami. We just did. They were recruited here. I will forever be grateful to Bump Elliott for leaving us a group of kids that he did because we didn't come on here without anything at all and tried and all. We came in with a group of kids who, if you worked them and did it the right way, were going to be a good football team. And thank God we recognized that. In that first season of 1969, when, uh, you know, it's everybody asks us as a player on that team, you know, when did the light go on? When did whatever happen that you guys became this team? And I kind of looked to the halftime at Minnesota where we were down and we were up there. From a coach's perspective, your staff and Bo, when did you guys see, hey, I think they're getting it. I think this team could be special. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember. I would like to say there was a special time. But there were certain games that where you didn't know for sure whether you were going to have a chance. And then all of a sudden you go out there and you say, we're kicking their tails. <laughs> and we're doing it with, with our football. And uh, so you all of a sudden, maybe we're a little better than we think we are. And I think that went through my mind on several occasions. But I'd say that the 69 team that when we beat Ohio State here in that game, uh, everybody says the game of the century or whatever it was. But let's face it, that proved to me that we were able to play with anybody in the country. And uh, that game to me kind of was a kind of a most satisfying thing that I've had probably in coaching for a long time. People ask me, and I know people have asked you this, but that season and that game was so big. When did you know, because Ohio State comes in as the number one team in the nation. They hadn't been beaten in two years. Their winning margin is 17, 20 points, I think, over that span. When did you know, we got a shot at these guys? <laughs> That's a well, long pause. Well, well, it was long before the game. I felt we could beat them. I really did. I I had I really had confidence in that group of kids at that particular time. Now, when did I know we were going to beat them, or when did I think we were going to beat them? Was two different things. I thought we could beat them. I knew at about four minutes to go in the game when I came down out of the press box the only time in the history of my coaching that I ever came out of the press box to be on the field at the end of the game and that was that time because I wanted to be a part of that that was something so special that I went down there one last question about the 69 season and that game rumor has it legend has it that Bo Schembechler was with you as we left the field at Iowa, and we had just beaten a decent Iowa football team. Not beaten them, <laughs> kicked their tails. <laughs> and we were we were looking, we were talking about Ohio State in the locker room. And the legend was is that you said, "Hey, Coach Bo, we we got to keep these down a little bit. We can't, we don't want to peak too early." And he said, "Nah, let them go." Truth or fiction? It's true because I said, Bo, we're getting too high too soon. Look, they're all starting to talk Ohio State. I said, we're, and he said, you can't get too high for Ohio State. And uh, that stuck with me. And 
And uh, I don't guess you can if you uh, if you can back it up. Big thing. You became again. I I mean this sincerely. The great offensive line coach out there. You also had some great players, and one of your first, who you didn't have a great relationship with to begin with, was Dan Deardorff, who is in the National Football League Hall of Fame, who has become a dear friend of yours after all of these years. That relationship with you and Dan in the beginning, there was a little push and shove to kind of come to a meeting of the minds, wasn't there, at the in the early going? Yeah, he uh, Dan had his own way of doing things, and and uh, of course I got my way of doing things. And if you're going to play for me, you're going to do it my way. And so he had to make himself subservient uh, to my wishes and what I wanted to do. And he was a very competitive guy. He was uh, one of the things that made him a great football player was his competitiveness. I mean, if you line somebody up over top of him and I'd say, knock him off the ball, Dan, he'd look at me and he'd knock him off the ball because that's the way. Didn't he do that in one game where he got on the phone with you, you were in the press box, and you just said, or he said something like, well, run it over me. And you said, okay, so every play you called was there. Yeah. That that didn't happen often, did it? No. The fact is, that's the only time I can ever remember I said that. But but he said, uh, uh, I said, well, he said, what's wrong? We're not moving the ball. I said, nobody's coming off of it. Nobody will knock somebody off the ball so we can do it. And he said, run the ball over me. We ran, I think, something like, nine straight 26 plays, 26 or 27, and that was fullback off tackle right, fullback off tackle left, and it was always Deerdorf because if we ran to the right, I put him in the right side. We ran to the left, I moved him to the left side, and we ran it over top of him, and we took that ball and drove it down the field. And fact is, that might that, that was the Ohio State game that we were been talking about when we were saying, Ed, uh, when we got down uh, to the two-yard line, I called the play, and I called 26. And Bo says, no, we're running 28. And I said, and I cursed <laughs> and said, no, run 26. Well, we faked 26, and Moorhead took the ball. He could have walked into the end zone from 20 yards out. But he, because everybody dove into where the ball was, and so we did score on a. We talk about Dan, but you had a number of great offensive linemen over the years, all Americans that that, that you coached. Uh, one recruiting is important to have those guys here, but if you could talk about the common denominator of of, of that offensive line of what makes a guy, let me throw in my two cents worth. Offensive linemen, in my opinion, are the best team players out there because they don't get headlines, but they don't want headlines. They they just, I think, want the team to do well. So that's why I think they're a special group. But they also have to have some things, whether it's feet, whether it's competitive, which you talked about, Dan. From your opinion, if you had that offensive lineman in the building blocks, diagram this guy, what would that diagram be like, Coach? Big enough. Strong enough, quick enough, I didn't say fast, I said quick enough, and the attitude that I'm going to get the job done no matter what. If that, if I have that, 
you can make you can make an offensive lineman. And we've had so many. You you go back and look at some of the size. We had centers that played here at 6'2", 6'3", 212, 215 pounds. Dick Calderazzo started at offensive guard. He was 5'10". 5'10", 195, 200 pounds at the most. Guy Murdoch in the Ohio State game 69. I don't think he was 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. And played Jim Stillwagon, their All-American nose guard. But again, it was technique. Teach the technique. They master the technique and then have the ability to want to do the technique. And that's important. That time from 69 set up a, a great run, a 10-year war, if you will, with Woody Hayes. What, what's your recollection of Coach Hayes? You were, you were an Ohio guy. I'm sure you knew Coach Hayes. Bo was a former assistant. What was your relationship with Coach Hayes? Well, when I was a high school coach, of course, it was he was he'd come into school, and again he'd stop, always stopped and visited with me, and he invited me down. I spoke at the Ohio High School Coaches Association clinics, and I did several of those things. But the one thing that happened, and I don't want to remember many people know, Woody got fired at Ohio State. Do you know where he came for the first time after he left the campus for the first time he ever left the campus? Did he come to Michigan? He came to Michigan. And uh, I got a – Bo called me in. He said, don't go. Don't have anything to do tonight. We got something we have to do. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? Well, he said, we're taking Woody to dinner. So Woody came and went to practice with us and watched around he talked to the team a little bit and watched practice and so forth and he and I and Bo went to dinner it was one of the most interesting conversations I think I've ever been he he said to, first thing he said to Bo he said you remember Jerry Hanlon remember that little SOB <laughs> he's the only one that coaches like me on your staff so don't tell me I don't know who he is and I wondered what the heck is this all about because I never had any idea that that uh, that well I said we knew each other simply because I was a high school coach and and of course when we were in Miami I would go up there for clinics and things so uh, we we had a relationship, but it would, I didn't know it was as close as he thought it was. Thank goodness! And but uh, uh, he was a, a, an individual. But I'll tell you this: he was an honest, hardworking football coach. And what else can you ask for if you really want? And he meant for his kids to be successful too. What was it like for you and, and the staff? And it changed, but you were here the constant through those years with, with Bo where there was that sustained excellence. Did the pressure build, or was it just the next game the next day? There was always pressure, let's face it. it became Football became such an important thing here at Michigan that it became a money situation as well as a pride thing of winning championships and let's face it Jimmy it is now it if something's going to kill football it's going to be the money uh, when you hear things about where kids want to get paid to play and they uh, going to pass rules that you can be on 
you know, get get money while you're a student and things like that. I think we're going the wrong direction. I sincerely believe that. Football is the greatest team game that you can play. And to be able to teach kids to come together as a group and excel in something is a tremendous thing. And if they do it as a team, then now you want to start make it individual. You want one kid to be able to get money and another kid can't. And uh, that's not what college football is supposed to be. And uh, uh, it's a way to get an education. And when we forget that, when we forget that college football is a means to get a college education for young men, and that is enough for anybody because if you get that, somewhere along the line, you're going to be able to do what you want to do. And uh, we're getting way, way too involved in money and extracurricular things, and I just, I, I hate to see it. I'm with you on that completely. I, I know that there are the devil's advocates out there that say, yeah, but if these young men raise or are responsible for all of the income coming into an athletic department, shouldn't they reap some of the benefits? That's what they say. And I'm like you. I think, man, you're getting a free education for the most part. That's being paid in my judgment. Do you Abs- believe that? Absolutely. And if 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 I'm the coach who's uh, getting all that money coming in here, why aren't I getting uh, well, maybe they are today, getting a couple of million. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different than when I, oh, my goodness, when I think, I, I don't know what I, I think I told you this, uh, that uh, salaries at Michigan were always very, very low, and um, you recognized it, you lived with it, and if you didn't like it, you could leave. But the fact was that when Brady Hoke was here in his first year, Brady, uh, they won and went to the Sugar Bowl. And his bonus for going to the Sugar Bowl, just the bonus, not his salary, nothing else, the bonus for going to the Sugar Bowl was more than I made in my entire career at Michigan as a football coach and as a director of alumni relations and fundraising so that was a long time boy talk about times changing huh it is it is i don't blame the coaches my goodness you know they work hard and they they get what they should anything you can get believe me but it just is it's almost ridiculous to not ridiculous but it's unbelievable that uh they're they're pulling down the salaries and money it's coming in. I'm going the next place I'm going for your benefit. Uh Uh-oh. Because I have told people, and Deerdorf has, and everybody that played for you, the greatest offensive line coach ever. And you are always the one that tells me, says, I could coach quarterbacks, too. And don't you ever forget it. (laughs) You did coach quarterbacks. Uh, here at Michigan, you went from the offensive line to the quarterbacks and then back to the offensive line. What was the difference there in how you prepared a quarterback as opposed to how you coached offensive line? Because there had to be a difference, and yet you were extremely successful with the quarterback position too. 
Well, a lot of extra time has to be spent in the film rooms and things with quarterbacks. And so I had the... I had the opportunity to get those kids and and uh, to take the extra time so that uh, when we did things as as a quarterback, we did it because the defense told us what to do. So understanding defenses was the most important thing as far as I was concerned that a quarterback had. Now he has to be able to throw the football and if he can run a little bit, that makes him better. Uh, all those things are are good, but the fact is, if they understand what's happening on the field, they then know how they can counteract that. And so even in a running game, if we lined up in a certain formation and they didn't uh, flank on one side, we ran the football there. If they uh, overshifted one way or the other, we had the availability to come back to the weaker side. This goes back to your high school days of actually being ahead of the curve and making calls at the line of scrimmage. Absolutely. And uh, But how do you make calls? You, you have to know what you're looking for in order to make the calls. So understanding the defenses was what really important. And I think one of the good things about Jimmy Harbaugh was the fact that he would look at film and stay with me and go over it, and he studied and and, uh, understood. And the only thing I see today is that when I see the secondary coverages and see what they do, I don't think we react as we did when we were there. In other words, if if I read man-to-man coverage... I'm going to change my route. And I know if I, if I normally ran a post route because I'm going down and run towards the post, now it becomes an in route. Go down and run a sharp route because you're going to have to run away from the guy who's covering you. So you change your route even after the ball is snapped because you read the coverage. And those are the things that we tried to do. And uh, thank goodness... Uh, we started, Jimmy, here I, I talk about this, and I'm I, almost beginning to sound ridiculous, but... The, Never. Well, everybody was talking about zone blocking. Everybody was talking that the zone blocking is the newest thing. New, the new craze. Yeah, the new craze. Well, when Rick Leach came here, uh, we had to say, well, we're going to have to learn to run option football. And uh, so Bo says, you go find out how to run the option. So I went all over the country, not all, but to several good schools that I thought knew how to run the option, somebody who really did a good job with it. And so I came back, and I told, sat down with Bo, and I says, here's what they're doing. And they say they gap block everybody, and you leave one man unblocked on the line of scrimmage. And if he goes upfield, you give the ball. If he stays in there, you run it, keep it, and run it around him. And he says, we're not letting a tackle not be blocked on the line of scrimmage to hit my quarterback. Now, do you understand that? And I said, yeah. So I said, well, what are we going to do? So that's when I, we blocked the tackle, but we did it by leading to his outside. If he stepped out, we drove him out, 
and meant a hole was inside, you gave the ball to the fullback. If he stayed inside, we pushed him on inside and went up to the linebacker, and that told the quarterback to keep the ball. So we blocked and read the tackle instead of leaving him unblocked. Well, that actually became zone blocking, and we did it for years here. And uh, uh, But the biggest thing is zone blocking today. Don't run around the defender go through him and then if you do that then you're going to have some success you mentioned Bo talking to you about we're not gonna not block this tackle we were laughing uh, before we started that Bo may have fired you more than any human being on his staff ever your relationship with him especially because he would fire you and then 10 minutes later hire you back you had to know that as you grew up and grew with him at Michigan, right? Oh, in most situations, there were a couple where I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Uh, somebody said, "What's it like to work with Bo Schembechler?" And I said, "Well, the main thing is to get hired one more time than you get fired." <laughs> and uh, that was was my relationship with him. And I don't think he did it with anybody else. But the fact was that it's because uh, he knew you could take it. I said, I. I, I say to this day he was one of the best judges of character and of people that he knew that that you could you could do that he and you could have that because i think he knew that you would you would understand what it was and that you weren't going to get take it personally and you were going to come back and always give your best shot well you heard of stubborn dutchman and you heard of stubborn irishman you put them both in the same room and start to argue about what's the best way to do something, neither one are going to give. <laughs> and so the boss usually wins, and he was the boss. But it wasn't ever done without us really deciding what was the best way to do it. And when we did, we would argue like crazy about a lot of different things. But when we decided what we were going to do, we knew it was the best way to do it, and that was the secret to our relationship. And uh, uh, we we did things the right way, and uh, whether it was how we handled kids or whether it was how to run the football or how to block a pass play, all those things were we, we oftentimes argued about and... and uh, but in the most, most of the, well, almost always, we'd come up with a situation we said, this is the best thing to do for everybody. And uh, it, was a, it was a difficult, I had been sent home and said, don't come back. And Happened to me once. Uh, you had to bring me back. Uh, well, it was, uh, it was, that happened to me. I went home not knowing whether I had a job or not. And then I'd get a phone call, never from him, but it would be from somebody else. Get your tail back in here. We need a practice schedule. <laughs> uh, last two questions, Coach. Uh, one is about college football today. Everything's now about a national title. The conference championship has kind of lost its luster. When we played, when I was here, it was, man, you couldn't get any better than win the Big Ten and go to the Rose Bowl. No, that's not really it. Is college football better off for this national championship playoff? No. The fact is, uh, you no matter how good you are, you still may not ever get to play in a – because it's a selective thing. 
in other words, who gets to play for the national championship. It's done through polls. If this guy's ranked one and this guy's ranked two, well, who ranks them? They aren't coaches. They're people outside the coaching profession. They're readers. They're uh, um, people in the media and so forth. So I think football is different. It isn't like basketball where you can play two or three games a week. Uh, it's, it's a time-consuming and hard game for the body. And so it, you have to consider it as a different type of sport. Uh, to me, national rankings are just what they are. I put them out there for everybody to see because it's nice to know that people recognize you're a good football team. But the fact is, win what you can control. And that's every game that you play and your championship, your league championship. You can control that because you play the teams in your league and you can come out a winner. And I think that's what you still – and to me – the only thing to win is the Big Ten championship. That's what you have to win. If you get something else along with it, that's just a little bit of, uh, added to the to the cake. It's a little more icing. Been in Michigan since 1969. You're a uh, legend. You are that. You are still involved in football. The, the, the players that are here now, 50 years after you got here, are still know who Coach Hanlon is. Wrap up, in your own words, this relationship that you had when you took that trip up I-75 from Oxford, Ohio with Coach Schembechler and showed up at Yost with the nails and the two-by-fours? Well, it's hard, it's hard to do. I, 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 I guess you could say that uh, while I was born in the state of Ohio, was raised down on the Ohio River, and uh, went to Miami University and coached at high school all around there. When I crossed that border down there at Toledo in 1969, things changed. And whether I like it or not, I guess I'm a Wolverine. You are a Michigan man. Uh, I feel very comfortable being around other people from Michigan. I particularly feel good about being around my former players. That's why I'm sitting here with you. But the fact remains is that uh, all my kids, my daughter uh, went to Michigan State, and she lasted two years, and she said, Dad, I can't take any more of this. I'm coming home. And so she came back and graduated from Michigan but I've had others who've gone to other schools, granddaughters and sons and so forth. Uh, someone once asked me who's my favorite Michigan player. He's a kid named Mickey Hanlon because he wanted to play football at Michigan, was never big enough, fast enough, or didn't have the genes from his father to ever let him do But he played football here at Michigan and, and – uh, I think got more. Fact is, said something one time. It would not have graduated if I hadn't have played football. And I thought that there, to me, is the answer to what football is all about. That it can help a young man. 
gain confidence and be able to carry on and do the things he has to do to be a good uh, 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 student as well as an athlete. So those are just some of the things, Jimmy, and I still like to go down and be around the kids a little bit. I don't do it as much as I used to, but I wrote a letter this year. I don't know whether you would want to hear it or not. Absolutely. This I always wrote letters to the team before the Ohio State game. And my start of this will real, make you realize what happened this year. You may or may not know that each year I write a letter to the football team prior to the Ohio State game. I apologize to you for not doing so this year. Old age and other commitments cause me not to get the job done. But if you'll allow me, I'd like to write my first letter after the Ohio State game to your team. Nothing I can say will alleviate the pain and the hurt of that loss to the Ohio State team. But I want you to think why it hurts so much. It was because of all that you was at stake and that the football world was watching to see this game. Why do you think that was happening? It was because a group of men and the coaches from, the, from Michigan, after having stubbed their toe a couple of times early in the season, decided to work together as a team. Their efforts did not go unnoticed and made the final game really mean something. I mentioned you stubbed your toe. You didn't stub it on a pedal. You studded it on boulders. Those losses were to very highly ranked college football teams. So as you recall this football season, don't dwell on the losses, but dwell on the work and the effort that your team went through to make this such a football spectacle. The challenge was great. Mistakes were made, but not from a lack of effort. You will face many challenges in your future. Make sure you prepare for them. Meet them face-to-face as you did last Saturday. While the pain of lost remains, it will feel less having known that you learned from it. I'm proud of your group, of, of this group of Wolverines, and thank you for carrying on the Michigan tradition. Good luck and God bless you, Coach Hammond. You're a treasure, Coach. Thank you. Well, I don't know about that. Michigan's the treasure. I just happen to be a little bit a part of it. Coach Hanlon is an original. I was so lucky to have him as a coach, but also as a friend. There are countless other athletes who came in Jerry's sphere of influence who are better off for the experience. Thanks for coming along for my conversations with. There are more coming in Season 2, so visit thebrandyshow.com often or your favorite podcast platform. Season 1 of Conversations With is up on the site, too. If you missed any from our first year, take a trip back for some good chats 
with great guests on a wide range of topics. JimBrandstetter.com also has a link and my Facebook page, Jim Brandstetter 76 will have updates. Thanks for stopping by. We'll talk soon.